This is Lifetime Sentence, the podcast where we watch bad Lifetime original movies and compare them to the truly heinous stories that inspired them. Because sometimes the truth really is stranger than fiction. Hey, so how's it going? I don't know yet. 27th <laughs> time's a charm. So for those of you who are not on our Patreon, um, we tried for two hours to get to record last night. And it never worked through the way that we have recorded for over a year now. Yep. Yep. This is all fine. It's all fine. I'm, just, I'm glad I, I have a big glass of wine right now. Um, also, speaking of Patreon, we have a couple things to talk about. Yes, we do. Okay. So, first of all, um, for the month of... Let's say July, so that way people can sign up if they want. Okay. We're going to be donating all of our Patreon um, All the money donations. we get on Patreon in July, yes. Mm-hmm. We're going to be donating all of that to um, the Black Lives Matter movement. And so what we are asking or what we're going to do to kind of incentivize the pot is right now – you have to be at a $5 tier in order to join, but we're going to add a $1 tier where if you, if you join for $1, you'll get access to all of our Patreon audio. Um, the people that stay at $5 or the people that sign up at $5, you'll, uh, we're working on some merch. So you'll be the first one to get a piece of our merch. Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. And so we do, I am working with a graphic designer because for all the things I'm claimed to be good at graphic design, it does not make that list. Uh, so I'm bringing in people who actually know what they're doing to create some t-shirts and some stickers for us. And, uh, yeah, we have had several people ask if we are going to get merch. And so we're taking that step and we are happy that you're joining us for that ride. Yes, and yeah, so if you're a five dollar patron, you will get something from us in the merch category. So make sure you log on to Patreon if you haven't and put in your mailing address so we can mail it to you when we get it all together. Yes, please. Um I so while we were talking about structuring new um levels, you know, I started this new mm-hmm. hobby of uh making soap. And I have all yeah. that real ugly soap. I thought about uh, White and Crime's Trash Queen's tier. And I was like, I could just send out Franken soap. <laughs> just get all the ugly soap out of my house. <laughs> I, could make, I could make some more Franken lotion. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I would not want that to touch my skin. You showed us the picture last night. And I was like, well, that's a thing. It is a thing. <laughs> <laughs> Literally a thing. Um, yeah, so hopefully that's exciting. If you haven't joined our Patreon, it's patreon.com slash, slash Lifetime Sentence. Um, and we'll be, I'll be putting in that new tier t- uh, tonight after we record. So that'll already be done by the time you listen to this on Wednesday. Awesome. Um, side note, completely unrelated, but uh, ADHD is taking over. Um, have you seen... The TikTok where the guy says he has so much serotonin right now. And (laughs) that is what I live for. I watched it probably 200 times. Did you see that something not garbage happened today? Yes. It was a great way to wake up. 
It was a great way to wake up. Now let's talk about Except how they include the picture of Brett Kavanaugh with the Supreme Court, and he makes me want to throw up. So, you know. Well, you know, we'll take it where we can get it. Um, we will. Now, America, let's talk about how late that is. Oh, a hundred percent. But now let let's fix the healthcare thing so that you know Orange Fulius can't fuck that up any worse. Yeah, this is all, but it was a it was a welcome bit of good news and a news cycle that I think for the last six months has been nothing but dumpster fire gosh. after dumpster fire, yeah. and then gasoline mm-hmm. poured onto a dumpster fire. Mm-hmm. Oh, they also found uh, West Nile in Mesquite, Texas, so that's fun. Eh, it happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh huh. Um, what else is there? Anything else to talk about? The soap. Uh, oh, I'm on my second um, Jack and Dr. Pepper, so we'll see how this night Ooh. finishes. Ooh, it's going to be a fun one tonight. I, I'm curious to see which wins, Benadryl Paul or <laughs> Jack Drunk Paul. Come on, Jack Drunk Paul. <laughs> I want it. I'm excited. <laughs> well... I will tell you, I was completely sober when I typed my notes, and I just see that I, in fact, wrote the word confidential. That's not a word. So. (laughs) I don't know. You could maybe look it up in the King James Version of the Bible. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Yeah. So are we ready? I mean. This case was rough to research, so I don't know if we're ready, but we're here. Well, this movie was absolutely absurd, so I'm excited. Good. <laughs> um, do we want to introduce ourselves, or are we done with that Oh, now? yeah. Hey, this is Lifetime Sentence, and I'm Jack Drunk Paul. <laughs> and I'm just Aaron today. <laughs> I gotta finish this glass of wine, but I gotta talk for 45 minutes first, so... <laughs> Maybe by the end I'll be nicely like wine tipsy Erin. Yeah. She's a fun she's a fun person to be around. All right. This week I watched Daughter for Sale, or as I like to call it, Taken Four. What the fuck? <laughs> it stars Emily Rose as Annalise O'Neill. She is from Haven, Uncharted, ER, and Matchmaker Christmas. Okay, so those are things I've heard of. I don't know who she is. Emily Tennant. She plays Carly O'Neill. She's from Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency, which is now the second time that I've mentioned that, which is so weird. That is it's such weird. an obscure show. Uh-huh. <laughs> Riverdale. Okay. Do you watch that? No. Oh, okay. Did you? I, wasn't sure if you did. I tried to very convincingly, like soften the blow when I admitted to all of our listeners that I don't watch the like most popular television show in the past five years. What Riverdale? Yeah. Oh, I don't watch it either. So yeah, but you watch um, other Project things. Blue I watch Book. literally nothing. I'm on season five of Parks and Rec. So I'm almost to modern yeah. day TV. Last week you found a commercial that premiered on the <laughs> Super Bowl. <laughs> texted us about it. I was mad about it, too. Four months later. (laughs) Just call me Internet Explorer. (laughs) Um, Antonio Cupo. I just call him Flower Shirt. 
great. Um, he's from a lot of Hallmark slash Lifetime movies. Um, Love at the Thanksgiving Day Parade, Garage Sale Mysteries, their remake of Beaches. Okay. And Anything for Love. The remake had Idina Menzel in it, right? It did have Idina Menzel in it. <clears throat> um, Chris Calhoun, who I'm just going to call not Liam. <laughs> <laughs> He's from The Client List, Taken From Me, Faces in the Crowd, and A Most Peculiar Man. Ooh. Mm-hmm. So we open with a girl walking down a dark alley while very loud music straight out of a horror film plays. Perfect. Um, she's looking down. She's looking down at a, her phone when a van pulls in behind her, and I must be the only person in the world that's hyper aware of my surroundings at all times. Yeah. Uh, well, if the measure, like if the stick that we have to measure by is just me and you, then yes, you are the only person in the world because. I could walk seven, okay, I can't walk seven miles. Like, let me not spread that lie. <laughs> but I could walk seven miles and have no idea how I got there, when I got there, or, like, what I'm doing there. The back door opens as she's still reading a text, and then they snatch her up. Um, the opening credits run spliced with shots of the girl trying to get away, but the kidnappers knock her out with a leopard print scarf. What a way to go. What's Blanche Devereaux kidnapped her. Something. <laughs> Back at the stuffiest party in a literal glass house, symphony music plays while an old white man asks throw Annalise stones. how it feels to finally oh. be a judge. Huh? I said throw stones. We're in a glass house, so I figured <laughs> someone was throwing a stone. Uh, the old man asks how Annalise feels to being a judge that's so super young and super successful and has super great taste in music. He actually met Beethoven once. He He's that old. <laughs> <laughs> Another man walks in and I assume he's going to be Liam Neeson because he's wearing a leather jacket with no tie. <laughs> oh, you know, he's serious. He's, he's not going to be Liam Neeson. <laughs> um, he and Annalise have an intense flirty tete-a-tete before an before old man beethoven comes back to introduce annalise to a guy in a flowered shirt unbuttoned way too far who kisses her hand thanks i hate it um he does run an organization for homeless teens so he can stay unless and until he becomes the bad guy okay is this a spoiler alert yeah oh great but i did not know I didn't put it in after. I was like, this, I think this guy's the bad guy. And so that's why I wrote that. <laughs> nice. Never trust a man in a flowered shirt. Amen. I feel like we've also, had an episode thought... title about flowered clothing already. I think so, too. Flowery shorts, I feel like we discussed last time. Yes, flowery shorts. Also, while I paused the movie to write this, I caught the TV in the background with the name of the playlist Annalise is playing. It's called, quote, Party mix, music you can dance to. And I am absolutely down to jam to some classical music. However, it hasn't been music you can dance to since the 1800s. Please adjust your playlist accordingly. I'm, I'm <laughs> sorry, you don't just bust a move to a quadrille, couple of waltzes, no. drop it mm -hmm. like it's hot when you hear Beethoven's ninth. Na 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 na. And then you just start twerking. Like, Aaron, what is wrong with you? <laughs> I I'm, I'm, would like to know what is wrong with you. I have a degree <laughs> in classical music. Like, that should explain so much. Uh, so, 
Um, oh, the flower shirt tells her that how good the title judge looks on her. But then again, everything looks good on her. You, I don't like it. She introduces Pretty sure Fledger's I was saying the intro to Beethoven's fifth. Beethoven's ninth is Ode to Joy. I, they should take my degree. They should take your degree. <laughs> All, already the jack is hitting me and we're only 12 and a half minutes in. Yay! <laughs> um, she introduces Flower Shirt to Liam Neeson, who is a detective. They all talk about her daughter Carly and how mysterious teenagers are. And we cut to Carly's room where she's being emo and listening to music. Annalise goes upstairs and tries to make her put on a fluffy pink dress and go greet everyone. Naturally, Carly finds a pair of scissors and cuts the dress up. Perfect. Now, does she cut it up like what a girl wants, Amanda Bynes style, or just destroys no. it? Just destroys it. Okay. Yeah. Man, I love that movie. Who doesn't? Except for the way she holds her oh. spoon when she eats cereal. That's real weird to me. Yeah, it's really weird, but that movie is excellent. Um, <laughs> after the part... No, sorry. So Carly calls some guy and tells her, tells him that she's going to meet him at the park and she sneaks out after the party, not Liam Neeson shows everyone out the door and Annalise goes upstairs to find Carly missing. It's probably fine though. I'm sure. Right. Always works out, especially whenever it's on lifetime in the true crime section. Absolutely. Uh, Not Liam comes upstairs to see if everything's okay and says Carly will be back when she cools off and not to worry. Um, Carly's walking through this park with skateboard dude complaining about how horrible her mother is. Now that she's a judge, it's just going to be so much worse. And she's going to run away. Great. Um, Skateboard encourages her to go home and apologize, but Carly says no and walks away. Annalise is at home in her robe, calling everyone she knows to see if they've seen Carly. She goes and sits in Carly's bed, looking at all the pictures of the pair of them together. Very cute. Uh, flower shirt chooses this time to call and ask Annalise out on a date, but she says no until she finds Carly. She can't go out with him. <clears throat> they hang up and lo and behold, Carly walks by flower shirt. And so he's like, Hey, I was just trying to mack on your mom here. Get in my car. I'll drive you home. Uh, I'll get you a Wendy's frosty and some McDonald's fries first. And it'll be a good day. Nope. He follows her and gives her I thought he didn't recognize her but we'll put a pin in that (laughs) (laughs) and gives her a card for his shelter she takes it and tries to call one of her friends who doesn't answer then sits on a bench looking forlorn and this is where I wrote I knew it I knew it I knew it we cut to flower shirt who takes Carly's picture from afar and sends it to someone saying got one and it's the van people from the opening credits Man, Lifetime did some some real foreshadowing on this one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they find Carly in a coffee shop on her phone listening to music, completely unaware that people are watching her. Um, Annalise is out searching for Carly, too, who is now leaving the coffee shop. Van Guy steals her backpack and runs away, and then Van Girl runs up to see if she's okay. Uh, Van Girl offers Carly an extra coat from her trunk, so Carly walks to her car with her. Van Guy walks up behind her with a bandana that knocks her out and they put her in the trunk. They're speeding away and they get pulled over. Okay, this is hopeful. It's a 30 minute long movie. 
So naturally they start making out because that's what you do when you get pulled over. <laughs> right? I mean, I see those blue and red lights and my hormones just get the best of me. <laughs> the officer takes their information and Carly wakes up. She pulls the tape off her mouth, but not in time because as she starts screaming, the officer tells him to keep it moving and gets back in his car. Mm, I hate it. Mm-hmm. They get to where they are going and pull Carly out of the trunk, retape her mouth, put a hood over her head, and take her inside what apparently is just, like, underground. I was like, okay. <laughs> inside, there's a bunch of other girls, including the other one we saw get kidnapped in the opening credits. Carly points out that what they're doing is against the law, but they just laugh at her, which I kind of get. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Carly asks the girl from the opening credits how long she's been there, and the girl says two weeks, maybe more. Winston's mad that I put him outside while we record, so he is sitting by my window embarking now. <laughs> <laughs> Winston is my level of petty. <laughs> At the courthouse, Annalise goes into work super stressed in a blue power suit. She snaps at her assistant and then tells her all of her problems. Um, Liam Neeson brings her some coffee and says nobody has heard from Carly. He tells Annalise that she needs to get her mind off everything and then asks her out on a date. Casual. <laughs> Annalise tells him she, that he's crazy. She says she's, he, she's going to issue warrants for Carly's cell phone records. And Liam's like, uh, calm down. Right. I have a very particular set of skills, except I don't. Right. It's okay. The the only <laughs> set of skills he has is to tell an angry woman to calm down. Yeah, no, he he has way less skills than that. <laughs> do, do you hear him? Do you hear this monster outside my window? I do now. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, Annalise tells not Liam Neeson to buzz off. Over at the youth center, Flower Shirt is telling Van Lady how special Carly is as she unloads Carly's backpack. She's got that, quote, look, and she's a virgin, which how on earth do you think you know that? Well, you see, when he asked her mom out, it, you didn't notice it because he just did it so casually, like even you didn't catch it. He was like, hey... <laughs> Um, would you like to go somewhere fancy like the Waffle House and also has your kid had sex yet? <laughs> no to both? Great. Um, okay. Okay. So, turns out he knows exactly who Carly is and says she's going to fetch them a fortune if they get her ready for the show in time. I hate that. Um, maybe it's the runway in Milan or hell, even my land, Georgia. <laughs> my land, Georgia. <laughs> Patreon.com slash lifetime sentence. Yes. I know in my brain that, of course, he's not going to speak respectfully about women because he's literally running a sex trafficking ring, but it still pisses me off. <laughs> um, Van Lady says Carly's going to take them all down, but Flower Shirt doesn't care. Back at the courthouse, Annalise is still definitely not doing her job, which is really bad on your first day. Right. <laughs> Flower Shirt texts Annalise from Carly's phone and says, like, pretending to be Carly and says, leave to leave her alone. 
Annalise gets a reply on the Facebook post she made that maybe Carly's boyfriend knows something. I did not think skateboard guy would have ever been Carly's boyfriend, but whatever. His dad brings him over. And after trying not to tell for like a whole minute, he says she got mad at him and left and he's really sorry. Annalise goes to the police station to bother not Liam Neeson and his investigation. Her friend comes over um, to him, her judge's robe, and her friend asks if she's called Flower Shirt since he runs a homeless shelter slash sex trafficking ring. Maybe he knows where she is. Right. Um, Annalise goes upstairs and starts going through Carly's things. Over in the sewer, Carly has escaped from the room and is trying to find a way out, but it turns out to be a nightmare. Annalise goes to see Flower Shirt. He gives her a fucking tour. He gives her a tour. I'm not a fan. The audacity of this bitch. I can't. Um, Annalise meets Liam Neeson at a coffee shop to lament more about where Carly could be. He talks about the missing persons report and how she will turn up at some point. He tells her she looks terrible, which is not cool. Um, Great. So he's oh for can... two with calm down and you look like shit. Yeah, definitely not Liam Neeson, who would have found this girl already. Um, he, t- uh, he tells her, no, sorry. Before she can respond, a news story comes on about the possible human trafficking going on in the area. Annalise is like, uh, excuse the fuck out of me, but what the fuck? Not Liam Neeson? Right. Um, not Liam says that it's an active case and he can't talk about it, but he assures her that none of those girls are like Carly. They all have a history of high risk behavior and Carly doesn't fit the pattern that they're following. So Annalise gets up and storms out because he won't talk about it. Hey, everybody. Can we cancel the phrase high risk behavior? Yeah, for sure. You mean they were acting like little shitty teenagers? Wow. Right. I taught 15 year olds for a long time. Let me tell you a secret about all of them. They're assholes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Liam goes back to the police station to stare at the missing persons wall. And lo and behold, in the middle of his chalkboard or not chalkboard, glass chalkboard is flowered shirts picture. So he knows. I'm mad. It's fine. Listen, hey, this sounds like a cop who's actually doing his work, though, because we cover lots of police who are shitty. Yeah, well, um, Annalise is in her office, still not doing her job. Uh, she goes back to the shelter to talk to Flower Shirt, and they go looking for Carly. Man, I hate this guy. After they tape up a bunch of flyers and stop people to ask if they've seen Carly, they have lunch on a bench, and Flower Shirt asks, all about what Carly is like, and Annalise tells him, which I know I can't be mad at because she doesn't know that he's the bad guy, but damn! I'm choosing to believe that he's only wearing flower shirts. Like, that he's on his sixth flower shirt of the movie. He's not, but I don't care. He still looks like a douchebag all the time, so he, he gets the flower shirt name. Um... She tells him that Carly is magic and people can't ever stop looking at her and she has a magnetic quality. Then everything slows down and she sees a hallucination of Carly off in the distance. She's brought back to reality by flower shirt wiping her mouth. And I just no. wrote you? No. 
back at the shelter, Flower Shirt goes through all the kidnapped girls' phones and promises their parents they will all be home soon. So he's, like, texting from their phones. He gets to Carly's phone and uses his own phone to make a call to set up the show. $10,000 just to view... This is not my wording, and I hate it. So, the merchandise. No! That's a really dehumanizing tactic that people in the sex, in the sex trafficking world use so that they can pretend they're not messing with actual human beings. Yeah, but I still don't like oh, it. Oh, yeah, and I, I hate still it. Think and I hate how accurate Lifetime was with that. He wants all of their top clients invited and to make sure to add that one of them has a magnetic quality that they won't be able to look away from. And then he just pulls out one big-ass magnet and it just sits in the middle of a runway while the girls run free. The end. Yeah. Down in the sewer, all the girls are talking about why they ran away, things like abuse, you know, and Carly's like, oh, my mom and I got in a fight. Oh, oh no. Yeah. A van lady comes in and throws dresses at all of them, telling them they have half an hour to get ready. Gross. Annalise goes to meet with not Liam Neeson in a cafe again. She's pressuring him for information on the case. And the news, the news shows runs another, the news show runs another one of the girl's moms begging for her to come home. Annalise says that she's going to go on the news too. And Liam gets all up in her face and tells her not to let him do his job and stop throwing off them, throwing them off of their real leads. Cause when you go on the news, you get all the weirdos coming out. Right. And prisoners who confess to things they didn't do so they can try to get a lesson sentence mm -hmm. and things like that. Yeah. Annalise is still at home ignoring her job. Um, old man Beethoven shows up and tells her not to go on TV she, Annalise asked him if, what he would do if it was his daughter, and he tells her he has to be in court, and really, so does she. <laughs> um, he advises her against... Uh, da -da -da -da. Hold on, sorry. I just lost my place. So Annalise goes back inside her house and calls Flower Shirt to talk to him about going to the media. He advises her against it, saying that if she's being held against her will... It may cause the people holding Carly to harm her. He gives her... A, so she goes... Hold on. Oh, so she goes over there to talk to him about it some more. And he gives her this big stupid hug. And Annalise can see over his shoulder his drawer full of cell phones with girls' names on the back. Not a good look, sir. I'm not getting even hopefully optimistic at this because I don't know how far into the movie we are. It feels like 47 minutes. Mm. Um, at the courthouse, Annalise's assistant has got to be getting really tired of her shit. So she does is tell people that Annalise is not at work. <laughs> <laughs> Annalise goes on TV to talk about Carly. Liam sees it and shoves everything off his desk because she's with flower shirt and he knows that it's flower shirt. That's doing all this. Yikes. Van Van Man is leading all the girls in very, very revealing clothing down the sewer hallway for the show. Um, we cut to Hong Kong because why not? Um, someone is looking at photos of the girls and stops on Carly. Then he logs onto the web and his yin and yang screensaver. 
Oh, just just to prove that we are now in a culturally Asian country and Lifetime has no other way to prove it. Indeed. Um, so Van Lady tells the girls that if they do good, life can be really good. And if they do bad, life can be really, really bad. She tells them to walk slowly, smile, and look like they're having fun. And of course, to do everything they're told to do. I don't really follow the human trafficking circuit. It's not really my thing. But shouldn't Flower Shirt be disguising his voice? Nah. No? Okay. Um, Carly's friend has to go before her, but she totally freaks out and tries to run away. So they tell Carly that she better do good or her friend might die. So Carly goes out and won't smile. And Flower Shirt screams at her until she does. And they... Sell her for a million dollars. Shit. Flower Shirt is in his office being a smug asshole. Van Lady comes in and yells at him for going on TV with Annalise. But he just tells her that she should be grateful he didn't ship her off like one of the rest of the girls. He grabs her by the throat and runs his disgusting lips all over her face. That is And then is tells her to get sexy. the girls ready. Fuck, I love that when people gross. in Flower Shirts grab me and just like unceremoniously flap their lips on my face. (laughs) Man, I like Jack Daniels Paul. (laughs) I I don't think I'll ever get the image of you doing that out of my head. Um, As she's leaving, he says, tell Van Guy to go after the judge. And we cut to Annalise walking and Van Guy appears out of an alley to be- and beats her up, telling her to back off because Carly doesn't want to be found. Um, then he steals her necklace and runs away. Oh, good. That'll show her. She passes out and wakes up to a homeless man just standing over her. Right. Um, she gets up and stumbles away. Down in the sewer, Van Man and Van Lady come to get Carly and take her to see Flower Shirt. He says that soon she'll be someone else's property and a change of attitude is in order. He shows her the appearance he made with Annalise on the news. And then he tells her that someone is flying from across the world to meet her. And then in probably the weirdest scene I've ever watched, Van Man secretly hands Flower Shirt the necklace he stole from Annalise. Then Flower Shirt secretly passes it to Van Lady. Do they, it was so bizarre. Do they ever revisit this to tell us why that's important? Uh, well, they, we revisit we blah, 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 blah. we revisit the necklace, but they don't tell me why why the secret society type thing they had going right, on. Right, that's what I'm saying. No. Um. They show Carly then. Oh, anyways, then they take Carly back to the sewer. They show her the necklace and tell her that if she tries anything, they'll go find her mom. Also, her friend is gone. Back at home, Annalise is sleeping off her beating. She really does look terrible now. Um, Not Liam just walks into her house to check on her and is like, what the fuck? You look kind of bad. He tells her that he has the entire department out looking for Carly and it's now their highest priority. Annalise jumps up and says, why? Why is it your highest priority? Yesterday, she was just a runaway teen. That what's happened now. 
So not Liam Neeson makes her promise not to go blab all the police business on the news or she will put everyone at risk, especially Carly. Then he tells her that there's a human trafficking ring shipping the girls overseas. They're bought by wealthy men like captured brides. Mm, I hate it. She asks, uh, not Liam, if she if he knows who's behind it, but he says they're not 100% sure and he won't tell her anything else. Um, right then he gets a call about a body that they found. And so naturally he brings Annalise to the crime scene. Well, you have to. So she like runs into the crime scene, but it's not Carly. It's her friend, the girl that was kidnapped in the very beginning. Mm. Um, not Liam promises her he's going to find Carly and escorts her away from the scene. Um, Annalisa, Annalise is full on losing her shit, laying on the couch and mumbling about where people go when they run away. Uh, perfect timing, a commercial for Flower Shirt's other business, which is importing and exporting. Ugh. Chill, real chill. I thought you were going to say Comes creepy on. van repair. No. Comes on, and for whatever reason, it all clicks in her mind. So she starts doing what normal people do, pacing around her and pacing around and putting everything together herself out loud and telling herself to work the case because she's a lawyer. <laughs> then Annalise, uh, Liam Neeson's herself and he says, hang on, Carly, I'm coming for you. Um, she goes to flower shirts shelter and calls Carly's phone while flower shirt is talking to people outside. He picks up the phone and silences it just out in the open, like the dumbest fucking person on earth. So now Annalise knows he has Carly's phone. Annalise goes inside the shelter and walks to the back. Flower shirt appears out of nowhere with a bowl of cereal that I hope he chokes on. Um, that would be the best lifetime ending. Yeah. She attempts to make small talk and he tells her the sad, sad story about how he was once a homeless youth, blah, blah. Uh, she thanks him again for helping her out the other day and tells him goodbye. Um, back at his office, he's clearing out all the old cell phones and tells Van Guy to make sure they disappear. Um, Van Lady tells Carly to get dressed because today's her big day. Annalise um, follows Van Guy to the docks, I guess. <laughs> all showdowns happen at the docks, right? Right. Um, but then she goes into Flower Shirt's office to, sit, to tell him she's there to warn him that she heard from the police that he was involved in the trafficking thing, but she totally doesn't believe it. And she just wanted to give them a heads up because he's such a good friend. Um, she says she just wanted him to know he should be careful. He thanks her for believing in him, and she leaves. As soon as she does, he makes another call. Over at the police station, Annalise storms in, saying that Flower Shirt is completely the guilty guy. <laughs> uh, not Liam Neeson is like, oh my God, Liam Neeson never has these problems. See, please stop interfering with my investigation. <laughs> she catches a glimpse of his investigation board, which basically spells out how long they've suspected Flower Shirt. And so naturally she loses her shit. Everyone stops to listen to her give not Liam Neeson the what for, and Annalise calls her friend and tells her she needs help. Friend comes over and brings her a gun, casual. Um, but as she's unpacking her purse for it, she also pulls out 
and extra bra and panties and like sets them on the counter. And Annalise is like, what the hell? And she's like, you never know. Right. <laughs> Her friend is like, do you even know how to shoot this thing? And Annalise says, well, not Liam Neeson showed me once on a date. So this should be absolutely fine. <laughs> um, Annalise goes upstairs and hugs Carly's teddy bear. The girls are all in a warehouse. Um, uh, but he's not paying attention and he's holding Carly by the shoulder. Her phone starts ringing again in his pocket. He's too distracted with work, typical man. So she grabs it out of his pocket and answers it, screaming at her mom that it's flower shirt and not to trust him before Van Lady gets the phone and smashes it. Okay, chill. So he loads... Winston, chill out. So he loads Carly into one SUV and the rest of the girls get into another. Annalise calls not Liam to tell him that she's going to do the very dangerous thing that she should not be doing. (laughs) They go to the warehouse and see Van Guy getting a can of gasoline, which is never good in my experience with crime stories. Right. He's dousing all the photos and et cetera that they've been taking of the girls in gasoline. But Annalise stops him claiming to be the police. She and her friend are not good at pretending, though, and, she start- and he starts to get away. But Annalise shoots him through the windshield of the van in the shoulder. Hey, Annalise, you're a, a judge at this point. You should know that soup's illegal. And you just, like, ruin any chance of this guy going to prison. She opens the back of the van, and when she doesn't see Carly, she tells the girl that ev- girl's in there that everything's going to be fine, and she closes the door. <laughs> <laughs> then they, she goes back to Van Guy and cocks the gun at the base of his skull and tells him to start talking. Of course, he sings like a canary, and over at the world's creepiest dock, Flower Shirt is meeting with the guy that bought Carly. Annalise pops up from behind some concrete and points the gun at him. The guy who bought Carly for a million dollars just takes the fuck off. (laughs) Annalise and Flower Shirt have a little standoff before he convinces her to drop the gun or he'll shoot Carly. Then he calls her stupid and they get into a scuffle and the gun goes off. We have a solid 30 seconds where we don't know who has been shot as they're both making ridiculous faces. Um, Oops, it's Flower Shirt. Too bad. Oh, no. Annalise and Carly hug and apologize to each other over and over. Not Liam shows up five minutes late to make sure everyone's okay. Perfect. (laughs) They arrest Van Lady. Um, Carly walks up and rips Annalise's necklaces off of her and gives it back to her mom. And Annalise and Carly walk off into the night while the police question everyone else because that's a thing that happens. Yep. The end. Okay. What a wild ride. I told you this movie was absurd. So you asked me if this was a real case. Did you lie to me? I did enough research to know that it is inspired by true events, which is my favorite version of a Lifetime movie. Yes. Um, It, (laughs) so there is sex trafficking in Seattle. And there was a girl who was sex trafficked in Seattle. And I've now told you all the true events that inspired that movie. No judge, no flower shirt. <laughs> no judge or flower shirt. So, I'm so upset. So I thought instead I would talk today a little bit about human trafficking. Um, and 
Winston disagrees with it, it should be all over because the dog has spoken. He just... I agree. He just ended everything. Thank you, Winston. <laughs> this is actually like a... Because I live in Texas, it's and I know it's a huge problem everywhere, but it's a really big problem down here. So it's a huge problem in Shreveport where I live um, because we are the main corridor for I-20 and I-49. And we Mm -hmm. have casinos. And so we have all the biggest factors that influence the sex trade um, or like sex trafficking operations. And so um, like all of our teachers have to be specially trained on Mm -hmm. sex trafficking and like Sarah's clinics have to go through extra training all the time on it because it's such a, a prevalent thing here. Yeah. So here, because Interstate 10, which runs west to east, and Interstate 35, which runs north to south, uh-huh. converge where I am. It's a huge, and we're right by the border, so people can come up here, and then basically they can disappear and go wherever. Right. Um, so I actually have a lot of sources this time. Um, do something.org, antislavery.org, WUSA9.com ran an article that I enjoyed, or that was very useful that I used a lot. I didn't enjoy it. That was poor wording. Um, yeah. MyNorthwest.com had an article called Child Sex Trafficking as Easy in Seattle as Ordering a Pizza. Um, no, thank you. I used some information I got from the Seattle's t- Seattle Times, from Comonews.com, and from QZ.com, which is Quartz Magazine. They actually have a series of um, articles that are very interesting called Craigslist Confessional, or if you'd like to use my notes, Confidational. Because <laughs> I think I tried to put confidential. Um, yeah. And then um, ABCnews.com ran the, um, the actual story that um, inspired this as well as a true documentary called Daughters for Sale. Mm-hmm. And so um, the first thing I want to start with is some um, facts and numbers about human trafficking. So 51% of identified victims of trafficking are women, 28% are children, and 21% are men. 72% of people exploited in the sex industry are women. 63% of identified traffickers were men and 37% were women. And 43% of victims are trafficked domestically within national borders. So the bulk of wow. sex trafficking actually leaves the United States. Um, which is why it's so hard to, like you said, they can just cross the border right there by where you are and then, Mm-hmm. There's, it's almost impossible to catch after that. So, mm-hmm. um, um, let's see. So sex trafficking or human trafficking in the broader spectrum is the fastest growing organized crime in the United States. It's a multi-million dollar industry in Washington, D.C. alone. My God. Yeah. Every year, 300,000 children are forced into prostitution and pornography. No! 
child sex Aww. trafficking victims could be anybody regardless of social economic status race or gender so back to the people who lived high risk lifestyles the more research that comes out the more that people are finding there's actually not anything that puts you more at risk no um which i mean we all knew because we had brains and anecdata, data but now there's actual data to support it um According to the FBI, the average age of entry into um, forced prostitution for boys is between 11 and 13 years old, and the average age no. for girls is between 12 and 14. No, I reject this. Mm -hmm. Many victims of child sex trafficking are runaway children. Um, according to the National Center of Missing and Exploited Children, one in five runaways were trafficked in 2015. Um, there is a long list of re of reasons behind children's decisions to leave home. Um, often it's an abusive background or abandonment by their families. Other times it's impulse, angst, rebellion, um, the little things. So like your, this movie did hit on both of those things that it was an mm -hmm. impulse for Carly. Was that her name? Mm -hmm. Carly. And then for many of the other, um, women that she interacted with, they had a history of running away often because of abuse or neglect. Yeah. What I would have loved to seen and you know, hindsight 2020, et cetera, but I would have loved to seen like her talk to more of the girls and have them be from like various backgrounds as it seems to be a widespread problem. And it doesn't matter where you come from or what your socioeconomic status is. Like you're still as at risk. Right. You know? Right. Um, so often the kids that run away um, choose to go into sex work first and then they are forced into it um, for a multitude of reasons. Usually it's to support themselves while they are living on the streets or, um, you know, trying to live away from home. Um, mm -hmm. But when a child is taken into or any person is taken into um a traffic situation they're taken usually very far from their home um they're given yes. false id and paperwork traffickers are known to transport kids across the country as part of a large-scale ring and, uh, and crime networks um traffickers mm -hmm. use violence drugs emotional tactics and money to control these children yes um i do know that's a thing and what happens and for and this is just in my limited research on the subject, which is not probably as much as yours, but I think I watched a documentary where they talked about um, how, you know, like they'll, they'll send like pimps will send like the older women mm -hmm. out to tell, like to find the younger girls and be like, I know how you can make like a quick, yeah, you know, $50 or whatever. And then that's how it turns into, them being forced into prostitution. Right. Um, and so worse, I think still is that, um, children do not normally self identify as trafficking victims. Um, right. Like adults who are, they make it seem like a toy. Uh huh. So adults who are trafficked have part of it is that development of the frontal lobe that happens, you know, in mm -hmm. your early twenties, um, that you can see that 
whether or not a choice was yours, but, um, biologically sometimes like biologically children are much easier to manipulate because their frontal lobe isn't well developed. And, um, so their, um, captors, um, make them believe that their relationships are consensual and that this lifestyle is normal. Um, yeah. And so, um, according to psychology today, quote, this failure to acknowledge being victimized affects the dynamics of victim law enforcement, a victim slash law enforcement interaction, safety concerns and counseling. Um, it's, it's kind of a forced Stockholm syndrome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so, there were 81 child sex trafficking cases um, in the, I left off the rest of that idea. So it was a very, <laughs> it was a specific area that I was going to talk about. And then I didn't finish that thought. Um, and then finally, the Pacific Northwest, maybe? No, because I think this was DC area statistics I was looking at at the time. Okay. Um, The U.S. Department of Education listed some signs that parents and community members can look for if they believe a child is being trafficked. Um, Mm -hmm. For one, a child may have a a, uh, noticeable change in material possessions or attire. Um, Yes. Mm -hmm. We were in the training that I've had to go through. um, We're told to look for, you know, for young women who don't typically wear makeup suddenly start wearing a lot of like nice makeup or who Mm -hmm. typically dress pretty plain or wearing very nice clothes. Um, now that gets a little harder where I teach because we're all in uniforms. So, yeah, but this was a big thing in the Epstein case. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, fuck that guy. They may also have a boyfriend or girlfriend that is like noticeably older, older Mm -hmm. and the child, may make sexual references that are uncharacteristic of their age group, um, or references to drug and alcohol usage, um, things that are just characteristically more what you'd think of as mature for Uh the, you know, for that child. Um, yeah. And so, in fact, I feel very strongly about, the need to crack down on trafficking and like the role I can play in it. So I actually started last year, um, going through training to be a, an advocate in the, um, Mm -hmm. juvenile center because it is much harder for, um, boys. I'm sorry. Can you excuse me for one second? Sure. Can you not please? Thank you. (laughs) Judy and Winston are mad that we're not hanging out with them. (laughs) I know. Um, anyway, I actually started training last year to be an advocate because boys tend to be more closed off. Um, yeah. And a lot of that is because the majority of people who are advocates within the um, justice system for trafficking are women. And they're embarrassed to talk about the things that happen to them. And so there's a huge need for men to volunteer and go through that kind of training. Um, And I feel like as a middle school teacher, I have a very special, I have a very particular set of skills. Particular set of skills. That are just for this. Um, (coughs) So on mynorthwest.com and then also in the daughter for sale story on ABC, this woman Mm -hmm. named Nicole contributed her story about their experience in, her family's experience with sex trafficking. Um, 
So she's actually the one who made the quote about ordering a pizza. She said, quote, in our society, people should not be able to order a girl for sex the same way they can order a pizza and have it delivered to their home. Yeah, that's true. Um, so she admitted that her family knew nothing about the, um, uh, about child sex trafficking until her daughter was sold as a sex slave for 108 days. Um, but she, they were able to recover so at the stop. They were able at the start, they were able to recover her. So like, at least there's a good ending in all of this. Yeah. But, um, but that doesn't like, that doesn't often happen. No, it so. doesn't. Especially for somebody who's missing that long. So police estimate up to 500 teens. Some children as young as 12 years old are working as sex slaves every day in King County, which is the County of Seattle, like that Seattle is in. Mm-hmm. Um, the growing numbers have prompted actually new legislation in Washington, um, along with, uh, an effort between the FBI and local police agencies to arrest traffickers and to actually set up some stings to catch traffickers. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, nice. those efforts actually are probably, um, no, I mixed sentences. Those efforts, the mom hopes will help the next 15 year old girl who suddenly writes a note and leaves home like Nicole's daughter did. She said Mm -hmm. that she loved her family. This is the mom talking. There's nothing we did wrong, Mm -hmm. but she needed to go find herself. Nicole says, I'm thinking, what do you want to, what do you mean? Go find yourself. You're 15. You've got your whole life in time uh, to find yourself. I mean, on the total flippity flop, how do I leave a note for my 15-year-old telling him that I need to go find myself? <laughs> Just send him to my house. We've got a guest room. <laughs> Put him on a greyhound. There will be yeah, okay. there will be no residual trauma from that. No, of course not. <laughs> um, anyway, so Natalie, who is Nicole's daughter, said she ran away from home because she'd received a bad grade at school and was nervous about how her parents would react to it. Oh, no. Quote, I thought maybe things would be easier if I could just go do it on my own. I didn't want them to be disappointed. I had all my friends that I was going. I told all my friends that I was going to run away. So she ran across a soccer field from the school, jumped a fence, found a bus stop and took a bus to downtown Seattle where she met, met an older girl at a youth shelter. So, Oh yeah. Shelter. There's the third inspired by true event that came in. Yes. <laughs> um, she, God. she said she was very familiar with the shelter and the Seattle area in general. And she told me we need to go hang out. Natalie said, um, I've never, sm- I'd never smoked weed before. Never drank. I don't know. I was having a good time. But back at home... Like you do! Right. Back at home, her mother, Nicole, found a letter that Natalie had written behind. She called her husband, Tom, and said they needed to go to the police immediately. Um, The husband said, I was in shock. You know, kind of just floored. That, gone? Why? Sorry. Gone? Why? You know, where? You you know, how? You know, like, he's just going through the what... He's like, wait, what? (laughs) Right. Um... It's like, I know I took a nap, but what did I miss? So Natalie said that um, she quickly, like it quickly went from them just like smoking a joint and having a couple of drinks together to the girl that she was with was turning tricks right in front of her on the streets. Um, oh my God. Winston objects. I know. 
quote, we would walk on the highway and then people would come pick her up and I would sit in the back seat and then she would sleep with them, she said. A lot of them would ask if they could sleep with me and she would tell them no until a pimp mm-hmm. picked us up and then took us to his house. And that's when Natalie said she was raped for the first time. Oh, God. After it happened, he threw a towel at me and some carpet cleaner and told me to clean up the carpet because there was blood. That was pretty difficult. And then after that, they cut all my hair off and then put me in some really skimpy clothes and taught me how to walk in heels. I got really scared after that, and I ended up running out of there. So Why did they cut her hair? I don't understand. When she disappeared, um, her husband took, like, um, the dad, Tom, took to driving up and down the streets of Seattle looking for their daughter. Um, and then finally, almost two weeks later, Seattle police called the parents saying they'd found her their runaway daughter. Quote, she looked completely different than she had 10 days before. Her hair was cut. It was colored. Her fingernails had been done. She had completely different clothes. On the way home, she started telling us that she'd been held captive in Everett and said that she'd been raped and that she'd made, she'd been made to work the streets. So, um, so they comforted Nicole and they had a long conversation about how those events did not equate to any part of her self-worth. Like, yeah, like trying to help her separate that. They tried to start counseling, but um, pretty soon after she was lured out of the house by somebody she'd met on the streets the first time. So she was, she was on the streets for 10 days, came home. And about two weeks later, she was lured back out of the house and back into, like it was trafficked again. Um, Within 36 hours, she had been posted on the website back page by a 26 year old man who said he was 18. He continued to post her repeatedly for the next 108 days, said Nicole. Oh my God. Um, so the, um, Natalie had developed what social workers who work specifically with child sex trafficking call a trauma bond. And that's that kind of forced, Mm -hmm. um, what did I say earlier? Because I had the word then Stockholm syndrome. Stockholm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's that this person is hurting you. Mm-hmm. But they're also keeping you alive. Right. Well, and so um, Phil Martin, who's the national director of. And it's not because I think it's different from Stockholm. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. But I think it's different because in Stockholm Center Syndrome, people start to identify with their captors. Whereas in like trauma bond, it's like a symbiotic relationship. Uh Yes and no on both counts. So like broadly, yes, Stockholm syndrome is you start to identify with, but there's also that idea that the person that captured you also kept you alive Mm -hmm. um, because they could have murdered you. And so you identify a portion of compassion in that person. Um, Yeah. And then in the same token, um, Phil Martin, who's the national director of Compassion to One, which is a human trafficking rescue organization, so, uh, explained mm-hmm. that what happens is um, they ask questions. They're taking inventory on who she is, where she comes from, who her friends are, her families, mm-hmm. what her goals are and objectives in life. And then um, what he's actually doing is using all of that so he can either create this bond like 
like they have some kind of intimate relationship because he knows all this Mm -hmm. stuff about her or that he can take it and use it as a threat to keep her involved. Like, I know your darkest secrets. To me, just still sounds like Stockholm. So, right. So that's the, that's how the trauma bond works. So it is a very similar Mm -hmm. idea there. Um, Yeah. So um, for a little perspective, Martin went on to explain Quote, if a guy has a hotel room and he's got three to four girls working between 10 at night and until five in the morning, which is pretty typical, and he's Mm -hmm. charging anywhere from 200 to $250 per sexual act, the girl is going to service six to seven guys a night. If they do that for 30 days, the guy is basically a millionaire because he doesn't give any of the money to the girls. You know, he 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 provides for them. So then he keeps it. Right. Um, so when what happened was like i said you know the couple of weeks went by that she had been at home and then she went back on the street so what happened was while she was when she got back to school word had gotten out about what happened to her and she was being bullied and called a whore and a slut and a hooker um and all these awful Wait, names kids that, are the fucking worst yep um and so that is why she ran again because then she couldn't face the public ridicule of this thing that wasn't her fault because kids are the fucking worst um yes they are so while she was 15 years old she met a 32 year old named baruti hopson she said he was kind to her at first and gave her a place to stay but then things took a horrible turn Quote, I'd started talking to him, confided in him a little bit about family life and just how stressed out I was. He asked me if I'd ever worked before and I told him briefly. I didn't really know what I was doing. And then he told Mm. me that I wouldn't be on the streets. And I was like, well, what does that mean? And he's like, well, I'm not going to have you walking the streets. And that's when Backpage came into play. So um, Natalie said that Hobson told her Backpage was safer and that it was easier not to get caught. Um, mm-hmm. So Natalie and Nicole were actually involved in a large lawsuit involving Backpage and Craigslist, um, which yeah. you'll remember a couple years ago when all that got shut down um, as a result yeah. of this. Um, yeah. And that I have mixed feelings about that, but. So the CEO and yeah. owners um, were arrested because they actually knew about the trafficking that was happening on their site and had done nothing to mm-hmm. stop it. Yeah. Um, and they actually found a lot of illegal activity with Backpage. Craigslist was yeah. not aware and like all like they happily shut down the um, personals section of Craigslist. But um, right. Backpage, the it came out that the CEO was definitely aware. Um, yeah, you know, like the the issue with that is that um, while trafficking is horrible, and it is, there should also be a safe way for sex workers to conduct their business, like legal over the age of 18 sex workers, um, and not be criminally penalized for it. I understand that. Um, so... 63% Wow, I just of, had deja vu so bad. Sorry. No, like from the bubble bar that I'm watching get cut up since we're talking about something terrible <laughs> and like that story and 
Wow, that was wild. So 63% of underage sex trafficking victims said that they'd been advertised or sold online. Um, oh, I'm done with that page. Um, so, um, like I said, they were instrumental in shutting that down. And then, um, and while I was researching that, I found a couple of other interesting stories that are related to the area or, um, or related to the, um, Craigslist slashback page. So the first thing I want to talk Mm -hmm. about is another man who, or a man who was arrested in Seattle, um, for posing as a filmmaker for HBO. This was in 2018. He used social media to lure vulnerable teenagers and young women to Seattle with quote, false promises of fame and fortune and a starring role in an HBO documentary on human trafficking. He claimed to be filming. Yeah. Um, he told the victims that, um, or rather to persuade them, he would send them pictures of these bank accounts that, um, depicted his profits from previous films, um, that he doctored these screenshots to show, you know, millions of dollars. Um, I think Juniper is stuck in her litter box. Oh no. Um, no, I'm just going to let it happen. It's pretty funny. Yeah. (laughs) She'll get out. Or if she doesn't in a little bit, I'll let you go. Like I'm holding you in your chair personally. I'll let you go. Yes, you are. <laughs> um, anyway, he also took pictures of himself outside of an HBO office. And um, he even had... Oh, she got out. <laughs> he even Poor had baby. drafted up realistic-looking contracts for these women. Um, once they were in Seattle, as part of the documentary, um, this man, David DeLay, I think David was his first name. It's in here somewhere. Delay is his last name for sure. I don't know why I didn't put his first name. Um, so anyway, he... Um, it's his first and his last name. <laughs> delay, delay. Um, delay, delay. He would coerce women mm-hmm. into um, into prostitution, into sex work. Um, I know that the term prostitution and prostitute are not PC, but I mm-hmm. also feel like talking about being forced into it is not PC, and that's where, like my brain has this weird delineation between that. And so that's the thing I fight. Um, but there is a difference between legitimate sex work and, and being and forced prostitution and traffic. Sex. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. so, like being I said, that's why my being, like, brain makes that weird distinction. All it is, is sexual assault. Right. It's kidnapping and sexual assault. Yeah. Um, so he would manipulate them and, um, isolate them and then um, make them like completely dependent on him through this manipulation. Mm -hmm. Um, In some instances he would use the contracts the women had signed to threaten legal action until they complied with his demands. He also enticed minors to produce graphic pornographic photographs and videos for him. In one instance, threatening to release sexually explicit video images of a victim unless she complied with his demands. This is so nuts because uh, he's preying on these children who don't know, like, the first thing they have to do is be like, I'm not 18. I can't sign a contract, you idiot. Right. Take me to court. Right. Um, So, in fact, for his trial, seven of the victims actually testified. And um, that is pretty unusual that that many would show up because as you know, from 
a our history of this podcast alone but also our involvement in true crime that uh, women are so often dismissed or scared that uh, they don't often show up and um and in either case it is a failure on the part of the men and the police who are not doing their job appropriately um yeah well and the fact that even if we speak up and come forward the guy who assaulted us might still end up on the Supreme court or as president of the United States. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you'll have to answer on the stand. Well, what were you wearing? Yeah. Because that's a productive question. While the guy produces his calendar. (sighs) Fuck that guy so much. So, um, Oh, he did have an accomplice. She pleaded guilty to a single count of sex trafficking conspiracy. Um, and she cooperated mm-hmm. with investigators to bring him down. So she was sentenced to three years in prison. Um, yes, David delay. I finally found his name. He, <laughs> the jury, I'm not, I like delay delay, right? The jury took 90 minutes to, we're like, oh, it's one thirty. Let's get some lunch, right? And then we'll uh, send this fucker to jail, huh? They said it's up <laughs> to seventeen felonies, including conspiracy to engage in sex trafficking, attempted sex trafficking of a juvenile through force, through force, fraud, or coercion, and three counts of sex trafficking of adults through force, fraud, and coercion. He was convicted of two counts of production of child pornography and obstruction. And so, with all that. He was only charged to 33 years or sentenced to 33 years. That is a gross miscarriage miscarriage of of justice. Thank you. That's the word that Jack would not let come out. He's being a real dick all of a sudden. Jack is an (laughs) asshole sometimes. Um, so, um, Something else I wanted to talk about is um, in August of 2019, the FBI led a nationwide operation um, that led to the identification and slash or recovery of 103 victims, including 16s from Seattle alone in sex trafficking. Oh my God. Um, to make the... To make the arrests and rescue the victims, undercover police officers scanned social media and escort sites looking for what appeared to be juveniles advertising for commercial sex. Um, okay. They then set up fake dates and they met at these prearranged locations and then brought individuals and their pimps in some cases in for interviews to determine if they were underage or, or being trafficked. Um, mm-hmm. And so that was pretty exciting news. 103 people, that's a lot. Um, and so mm-hmm. the last thing I want to hit on is this Craigslist confessional series that I found very interesting. Um, it's from Quartz yeah. Online. This one, this ran in January of 2017. The Daughter for Sale special was in February of 2017. So they were actually pretty Where close to Where did you watch other. these? Um, this was at QZ.com and this was a written article. And then ABC okay. News is where I found the Daughter for Sale. I think it might have been one of those okay. 2020 specials, but I don't remember now. Sure. Okay. Um, so this is what... Just curious in case the folks want to go find it. This is what Court says about their Craigslist confessional confessionals. Quote, writer Helena Bala has been meeting people via Craigslist and documenting their stories for over two years. Each story is written mm-hmm. as it was told to her. 
Bala says that by listening to their stories, she hopes to bear witness to her subjects' lives, providing them with an outlet, a judgment-free ear, and a sense of catharsis. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, this woman had all like changed all the names in this for her safety, but um, Joanna, who is now in her thirties, said, mm-hmm. and I'm just going to kind of read the article as it is because it's fascinating and horrifying. Um, She says, I was born in a small town in a small country in Europe. My parents are farmers with no education, and my siblings and I were also raised to work the land. We lived a very self-sufficient and isolated life. We didn't have television, and I seldom came into contact with people whom I hadn't known my whole life. Because I didn't go to school, I could not read or write. Oh my gosh. The summer I turned 18, I met someone who claimed to be from a nearby big city. My brother introduced him to me. They had worked together briefly. Almost immediately, he told me that he wanted to marry me and that he would come to ask my parents' permission. In the meantime, we saw each other secretly. He made a lot of promises. He told me that he had a job lined up overseas and that he would take good care of me and my family and eventually take me to live with him there. He told me that he'd help Mm -hmm. me go to school so that I could learn to read and write and get a job as well. He promised that I would get to know a different life, that we would travel and go to good restaurants. I believed him. He spoke so differently from everyone around me, and it felt like he already knew so much about the world. I fell in love with him. When he forced himself on me, I didn't know anything, so I let him do what he wanted. I didn't know I was pregnant until I told one of my friends what had happened. I kept my pregnancy a secret from my family, and he and I continued to see each other. A couple of months into our relationship, he told me that he had to leave the country so he could go and get my documents ready, and the three of us, the baby too, could live together abroad. He disappeared for months, and at that point, rumors had started spreading. People warned my parents about him. My friends told my mom that I was pregnant with his baby. People were saying that he would take me abroad and sell me. They had heard stories of this happening to other young women. I didn't believe he was capable of doing something like that. I don't blame myself for how naive I was. I had no way of knowing. When he came back, I felt vindicated. My parents put up a fight and reported him to the police, but I wasn't listening. I went with him and we were easily allowed out of the country. Abroad, we stayed with some of his relatives. He told me it was temporary until we could get our own place. He was seldom around, and I started catching glimpses of things that unsettled me. When our baby was born, we went to the hospital, and I signed where I was told to sign. I didn't understand the language, and I didn't read anything, so I had no idea what I was doing, except I still completely trusted him and what he was telling me. When we left the hospital without the baby, he said that they were just keeping it for observation and we would pick it up soon. I never saw my baby again, and that's when the nightmare began. We were kept in an apartment in a nondescript building. I was with other women who were just like me, young, uneducated, abandoned by their families, and lured abroad by someone they loved. Two other girls by the same guy that took me. We were drugged and raped several times a day. We were sometimes beaten. We didn't have access to doctors or to the outside world. We didn't have money or possessions. We were not allowed outside without supervision. I didn't speak the language, so I couldn't call for help. Several months into it, I got really sick. I started running a fever and throwing up, and initially I thought that I was pregnant again. Part of me was happy in spite of the circumstances, mostly because it would probably mean a break from being prostituted. But I got my period, and the illness continued. One of the older women there who helped the traffickers manage us, she checked me and told them I was finished. Literally, quote, she's not good for anything. I didn't realize it then, but she probably saved my life. 
They blindfolded me and drove me around for a couple of hours. I thought they were going to kill me, take my organs, and throw me in a trash can. I was terrified. But I was pushed out of the car and I heard them drive off. Because of what the lady had said, they probably thought my organs would be contaminated. That's what I think now, but there's no way to confirm. I was later picked up by the cops. It was days before they found someone who could communicate with me. I was kept in a jail cell and I started to withdraw from the drugs. When the translator finally came and he told me they would start to process my deportation, I was not treated for my illness or for my withdrawals. When I got back home, I found out that my family and small community had disowned me. I was considered a dirty person, a street person. I had nowhere to turn. I walked to the nearest city and started begging for money on the street. While I was homeless, someone approached me. I told her what had happened to me, and she told me it was her job to help people like me. She took me to a clinic where I got treatment. I met other women who'd gone through the same exact thing I had, almost to the letter. Most of them had escaped. A few others like me had been abandoned. There are so many of us, and probably so many more, who don't make it out alive. So did anyone say, did you say what country they went to, or did she not know? She didn't say. Um, Okay. So... Yeah, she, in fact, she kept a lot of detail secret. You know, she just said she was in a small country in Europe and they went to another mm-hmm. country. Um, and I think that part of that is out of fear because it did say there was a disclaimer that, that her name was changed out of yeah. uh, need for her safety. I'm just curious. I'm just curious. I was watching a, a documentary thing about... Um, adoptions from other countries uh-huh. and how they sometimes a lot of times convince these women that don't know how to read or write or whatever to sign over their babies and then adopt them out to American couples. Yeah. That's horrifying. Yeah. It's really sad. And it's like, it's usually like their husbands or whatever saying like, Oh yeah, she's just sick and she'll be home. And then they just never see their child again. Right. So sad. Um, completely unrelated. Did you ever, well, loosely related. Did you ever see the movie August Rush? No. Um, Carrie Russell is in it. She's a mm-hmm. cellist and she has this beautiful romantic night with a, like a blues and jazz singer. Um I've seen the previews. It was, so she gets pregnant and then she winds up getting, like, after this event, like, she's pregnant, she doesn't know it, she gets hit by a car um, and she's in a coma and her dad signs away her baby for adoption. Um, And so the movie actually follows the individual lives of the, of the Carrie Russell and of, um, Oh, he was in the Tudors, Reese, um, Jonathan, Reese Jonathan, Myers? Jonathan Reese Myers. Yeah. And Freddie Highmore are in it. And, um, it's, it's one Is of it my the favorite story of how Carrie ever. Russell came out of a coma and killed her father. No, but it should be. Yeah. Um, but it is also that any, that that is any kind of legal anywhere is insane, right? There's no way it is. So anyway, that is not related to human trafficking, but that is my um, very sad research into um, an awful and huge problem that that plagues America. 
Cool. So I'm depressed. Me too. Even more than I was when I signed on here. I brought you a ridiculous and hysterical movie, and you brought me, like, deep, deep sadness. Sorry. So, speaking of movies, what are we going to watch next week? Oh, are we going to... Oh. It's June. We're going to do Pride? Mm-hmm. I find that movie so fascinating. Okay. But if you don't want to, will... I get it. No, I do. I do. We we will watch the movie. Yeah, I do. It's important to highlight, especially everything that's happening with the LGBTQ community right now um, and how they're basically, while we did have a win today, we uh, or they had a win today, um, they also had like a massive setback. Yes. Not that long ago. So. Um, do you remember the title of yeah. that film? It is called hold on mm-hmm. oh, I wonder if I can sing it in a minor it's oh. called I'm done Trapped the Alex Cooper story Trapped the Alex Cooper story I'll write that down and if anyone wants to follow along and watch before we record next week, it's on Hulu right now. So if you have Hulu, you can get it for free. Absolutely. Um, we had so much fun the last time that we did a watch along with our patrons. I would like to do that again. Yes, so um, we should. We will work out a date for that. We'll make that announcement on Patreon um, and we'll put up another Yay! poll because it was so fun to have our patrons pick what we watched. Um, yes, that was so fun. In fact, so the last time it was the uh, Doomsday Preppers show and I enjoyed it so much <laughs> that Sarah and I actually watched every episode that was available on Netflix. Um, it's so bizarre. I, I am obsessed with those people. And this whole time, the past few months, I've just been wondering how disappointed they are that they haven't like had random people coming from the city to steal their shit to, to take their honey. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just find it so fascinating. The, the different types of doomsday they're preparing for. And yeah. so there's only one that I really fear, but I'm not a prepper um, is I fear that a solar flare will wipe out the power grid. And then there's one guy who was my favorite. He's the one on the boat who has the two water pumps that I don't know if you've watched the whole series, but um, yes, I have. So he's the one that wants to live on the boat and fish and he has the two water purifying pumps and all that. That's what he is fearing mm-hmm. is a solar flare that wipes out the power grid. And I was like, look, Sarah, I'm not crazy. And she was like, maybe you maybe don't compare yourself to this show and then try to convince me you're not crazy. I agree with Sarah. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Uh, also, if you watch that show, they will tell you at the end how likely that scenario is to happen. The answer is not very. I don't to know basically how all of them. Yeah. I don't know how they can predict a solar flare. Like that's the one thing that like the reason that I am so worried about it is NASA can't even predict where the solar flares are going to be because they're eruptions that just happen. Mm-hmm. But in general, yeah, they're like, uh, we fear that the dollar's going to start meaning nothing and we're going to have to trade soap and beeswax. <laughs> we're afraid of the homosexuals taking <laughs> over. 
Oh, Lordy. Hey, well, well where can people... again, I oh, think there ahead. was one that was preparing for a pandemic and the prepper people were like, nah, not going to happen. So that's fair. But also there's been no cause to really, you know, storm your own land and shoot people. Right. Unfortunately for those people. <laughs> hey, where can people find us? Ooh, um, on Instagram at Lifetime Sentence, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Lifetime Sentence, on the Twitter machine at Life Sentence Pod. They can email us at Lifetime Sentence Podcast at gmail.com. They can go to our website, Lifetime Sentence.com. Awesome. And join our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Lifetime Sentence. Absolutely. Thanks for hanging out with us, everybody. Yes. Um, if you're feeling super giving, um, leave a rating, a review, a, and share us with your please. friends. Yes, please, please, please. I still want to get to 50. We have 20 left. Okay. 50 by the 50th. That's our... What's the 50th? I don't know. You know, Deck the Hallmark always did like 30 by the 30th. And so we're going to do 50 by like 2050. That's my hope. (laughs) In 30 years, we want to have 50. (laughs) All right. Hey, why don't you just go do it now? So you don't forget. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, And then also I cannot stress this enough. Do not forget to eat your vegetables. Charge your phone in case there's a solar flare. Bye. Bye. This has been Lifetime Sentence, where the truth really is stranger than fiction. Thanks for listening.